Troops, here we are, we're live. We've just been extended in the UK. We've got another three weeks staring at our four walls. I can't wait because it gives me loads of opportunities to speak to amazing people. Um, I've done my daily shop, um, Zombie Apocalypse, Walking Dead. I even had to kill someone with a crossbow. I hope that's okay, but they were going for milk and I needed it more. So uh, we welcome to the podcast. Um, she's got an awesome name. She's got an awesome story. She could have been a cowboy, but she's from, uh, she's from the Sunshine State. Uh, it's Shao Wild. How are you doing? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, as, as an American living in the UK, how long have you lived here and what things do you love about the UK? Oh, good question. Um, I moved here when I was 14. And can I just have it be said? Yeah. I'm honoured to be your first uh, female American guest on the Brilliant. podcast. Um, yeah, I moved here when I was 14 with family. Yeah. Had absolutely zero choice in the matter. So was dragged kicking and screaming <laughs> from Southern California. I grew up in Newport Beach. So nice. um, mo- moving to the butthole of Lancashire was not my um, ideal <laughs> move, shall we say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it did take me about 10 years to acclimatize to the culture shock. I still haven't got used to the weather. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I absolutely have a wonderful life here. I have a huge amount of family here. My mom is was born in Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I don't hold it against her. And um, her family, she, has, she comes from a big Irish family. Yeah. Uh, and I have tons and tons of aunts, uncles, cousins all over yeah. the place, all over the country. So I have a really nice family base here. Um, what do I love about it here? Really, I love my family. I love the countryside probably the most of anything. I love getting out in the hills, hiking. Yeah. Um, North Wales, the lakes, really blessed to have those kind of on my doorstep. Um, and, you know, I love the NHS. <laughs> I know that sounds a little bit, um, <clears throat> yeah. maybe it's kind of on point at the moment. Um, but if I was to look at my life uh, growing up in Southern California and then look at the life that I've built here in the UK, um, I'm still the same person. My core values are relatively the same, although I've been through a lot in those years and I've learned a lot and grown a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, environmentally, as far as the sunshine and the scenery and all that kind of stuff, and maybe the lifestyle, Southern California fits my uh, personality. It definitely still feels like home to me. Um, but in this country, I have a connection to nature that I didn't have over there because I think maybe just because it's so vast over there yeah um and I did live by the ocean so it you know it took me a couple of hours to get up into the mountains have you ever been to Blackpool I have <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I have um I... <laughs> how, how does that compare to um California <laughs> um it does. It, it's incom- It's not comparable. It's really not comparable. Um, no. I mean, if I do go over that way, I tend to hit uh, Lytham yeah. more, more often than Blackpool. But um, yeah. yeah, I do remember the first time I went to Blackpool as a teenager and my, and my friends being like, oh my God, this place is amazing. Like, you're going to love it. <laughs> and I got there and I was like, 
are you having me on? Like, I had, I was 20 minutes from Disneyland. That's where I grew up. 20 minutes from the original Disneyland. Uh, an hour and 20 minutes from Six Flags Magic Mountain. Yeah. They had like the biggest roller coasters yeah. in the world, you know. Yeah. So I got there and they had, what's that mouse, mouse trap or something? What's that one where like, it's Meth made trap. of wood. <laughs> yeah, death trap, yeah. It looks like made of wood and people yeah. like they're going to fall out of it every yeah. time. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It's, <laughs> they, um, yeah, they'll never make a real Housewives of Blackpool. That'll, that'll never. <laughs> <laughs> oh my that, god i would watch that yeah. i would actually watch that yeah that that, that would never uh, that would never be a thing um why why when you say you got forced over here for the move yes how come what was the force so obviously my mom is from here yeah um she was actually um a dentist and an oral surgeon so she uh, before she met my dad uh and moved to America, she was a Max Vax oral surgeon right. in Newcastle. Upon Tyne or? Upon Tyne, yes, yeah. up in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, and she met my dad who, uh, in the Isle of Man. My dad was a, a MotoGP and TT racer. Oh, smart, nice. Uh, my mom was over in the Isle of Man playing hockey and I believe my dad was perving on the hockey players <laughs> while he was in the TT races. <laughs> um, and my mom got injured and he kind of like came to her rescue and took her to the hospital. And then three weeks later, she moved to California and got married to him. Wow, so, your dad's got some gear, money. Oh yeah, I mean, I think he was quite, he was quite the ladies' man. Very charismatic. My dad, my dad was a little like Trump. Yeah, they loved him, he hated him. <laughs> Please tell me I had better hair. <laughs> I'd like to tell you he had better hair, but he 100% did not. Wow. And in fact, at one point, pretty sure he had a really dodgy ponytail, like as he was balding, you know, it was yeah. horrific. His dress sense left a lot to be desired. In fact, I can still laugh about it now. It was hideous. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's how they met and they, they moved to California and... I have an older brother and sister who are quite a lot older than me. They're like 10, 11 years older than me than I was born. And my little sister was born. She's three years younger. And then they divorced when I was like seven. Right. Um, And we lived in Newport Beach, California, which is supposed to liken it to something in England would be like living in Chelsea, Kensington, somewhere like that. Right. If you're looking at like cost of property and lifestyle. Lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom was a dentist and oral surgeon, but it's not a transferable um, qualification to the States. Yes. So even though she'd spent seven years at university, she couldn't practice dentistry. So she was teaching dentistry at USC, which is one of the big universities up in Los Angeles. Um, And she was having to do like menial jobs, like be a dental receptionist or like, um, she she ended up being a PA for Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut. That was like super random. What? Like, <laughs> what? like honestly, crazy, crazy stuff. So like, I taught him how to play Super Nintendo. Oh, Buzz. Yeah. What? This is this is my random fact. What? Um, I taught Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut, how to play Super Nintendo because I don't know if you remember the game that came out called I think it was called Star Fox. 
and it was like NASA. They they wanted to make Star Fox as close to being like a fighter pilot game as possible. So they got fighter pilots to test it out first. And Buzz Aldrin was a fighter pilot long before he was an astronaut. So they wanted him to endorse it. So they said, can you please learn how to play this game? Tell us what you think about it. And he's like, I don't know how to play a game. Like, what the fuck? So me and my friend um, went in and like taught him and his other friend how to play it. Like this other fighter pilot wow. ended up getting in a huge fight about whether the up arrow or the down arrow should actually be up or down because obviously it's yeah, back to front reversed, and like, yeah. they got in a big fight his friends stormed out it wasn't very productive but it was... wow do, do you remember i want to say um there was a video when someone approached him outside a, a, a shopping center basically saying he lied about going to the moon and um and Buzz just fucking chinned him. Boom. Have oh, yeah. that. Just put him on his ass. And I was like, wow, Buzz has still got it. <laughs> well, do you know what? He's a really, really interesting man. Uh, I've met him quite a few times. <clears throat> he, um, uh, well, maybe, I don't know how common knowledge it is, but he has manic, he was manic depressive. Yeah. Um, that only happened after he went to the moon. Yeah. yeah you know, like, imagine. it was, you couldn't meet him and spend any time with him and have any doubt in your mind that he did that. Oh, 100%. For all the doubters out there, you know, don't at me, but (laughs) I'm telling you, like I met him, that man has been to another planet for sure. (laughs) And And the thing is, once you've been to the moon, where the fuck do you go after that? That was basically the problem. Like, you know, where do you like? Where do you go? Because you, you've been to the moon, like, and 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 that's a big, you know, it's almost like I have achieved the pinnacle of life. What now? Like now, what? And the thing is, there's probably not too many other things that you could do, which we could. And I feel like that's a crossover between a lot of people who have achieved greatness, always strive for for more greatness. So, um, mountaineers who've climbed this mountain, we'll go and climb this other mountain. And it's always that, you know, ooh, what's on the horizon? And the, the problem is if you run out of horizons, you know, you, you, it's, like, it's like the Tiger King. You can have all the tigers in the world, but you'll never be what you really want to be. There's a great, there's a great advert for America. Carol Baskin's husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And he was really active. He worked with NASA really closely. He was really passionate about the Mars project because for him, that would have been the next step. That would have been the next pinnacle. So um, he was a really interesting man and he was really, really passionate about things. And you have, he was a fighter pilot. He was yeah. bonkers. You know, that yeah. guy has like, he's nails. Yeah. So if someone's going to turn around, he's only little too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't cross him, but he no, was I'm such good. an interesting, like genuinely lovely man. You know, can you, I feel blessed can you imagine, to him. Can you imagine if someone's going to criticize your life's work? Like you've got to be prepared for the consequences of what comes with that because, yeah. um, you, you know, you're saying he, he was a fighter pilot there's a certain mentality to get into a, a plane powered by a, a, a jet engine and fly around the sky and, and fight and fight other human beings in the sky. Yeah, like, especially it, in those days, like it's not like it is now no, no, where no. we have all of the technology. Think of how 
far yeah. technology has come mm-hmm. in the decades since he yeah. was a fighter pilot as well. So yeah, he I mean, he, true he pioneer. was just sticking up for himself and, and I get that, you know, fair play to him. Yeah, no, so, it's a- yeah, so it was, it was just a, a funny upbringing, the whole thing, like my whole childhood was a little crazy, you know, I was in the most beautiful place on earth, but you know, my mom wasn't doing what she was capable yeah. of doing. Um, although it meant I got some really interesting experiences out of it. Um, my dad had long since retired from being um, a motorcycle racer. Yeah. And he was an engineer. He was also in the Air Force <clears throat> when yeah. he was younger as an engineer. Um, and he built custom motorcycles. Well, um, and that was kind of his love and his calling. So, um, when they separated, we stayed in the U.S. for about seven more years before my mom was just like, do you know what? Yeah. I can't give you the life. Like, I'm having to work three jobs. I never see you. We're living mm. in this, you know, little tiny house. I can't. Yeah. You know, we couldn't afford anything. And our friends were like multimillionaires, billionaires. You know, so I think she just felt like, I, why am I here? I could move mm. you back to the U.K., we could be around all of my family. I could be a dentist. I could be an oral surgeon. I could mm. give my kids a great quality of life. So as a mother now, I completely understand yeah. where she was coming from. Selfless. But at 14 years old, just okay. started high school. I went to Newport Harbor High. I don't know if you've ever seen that old TV show, The OC. Right? Oh, is that it? But that was my high school. Wow. So like, I just started there, done like half of my first year there. And then she moved me to a little town called Darwin in Lancashire, which is not, it's just next to Blackburn. It's in between Blackburn and Bolton. I know it. I know Darwin. Yeah. Yeah. Freddie has Prince a Jubilee didn't town. go Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did he? Freddie no. Prince never no, went to Darwin. Did. He did not. I don't think, at, well, I mean, my face was a picture. We moved on oh, Christmas Eve. We moved on Christmas Eve. I got here. It was gray, slushy. It had been, you know, when it's been snowing, but then it's not snowing and the snow goes gray and just like dirty, slushy. It's horrible. And, and Darwin is an old school mill Mill industrial town. town. Like that whole sort of Blackburn, Bolton, that whole area is, it's all wool, isn't it? And and, and that sort of industry and, and probably has maybe changed quite a bit, but, yeah, in, interesting. You're, you're, you you must have had a face on you. For about 10 years, like a slapped ass, for sure. <laughs> My mom was. And, and what was it like? Obviously, um, the, the Lancashire accent is, is strong and very prominent. And then you turn up first day of school, and I bet you're like, I bet, I bet you were a novelty. Do you know what I mean? I bet it was like, ooh, have you heard about the new girl? Well, I'm really glad you said that because, um, well, it took me, it took my mom about two months to get me to agree to go to school. Right. Um, I, I was digging my heels in. I was like, I'm just going to move back to California and look after my damn self. You know, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been pretty like headstrong like that. So I didn't see that there was anything wrong with it. Um, she finally got me enrolled into a school. Yeah. And it was on a council estate, this school um, in the town. Um, it was the only school she could get me into at halfway through the year. Yeah. Um, and I get there and I'm in what would be year nine, I yeah. guess. It <laughs> yeah. made me reset the whole year because the school systems don't match. You don't know, match, like, yeah. I get in there 
I was like a circus monkey, you know, like I was like a sideshow Bob, you yeah. know? So I get there and I've got a, a circle of like 50 kids stood around me, like throwing, like talk, what's your name? Where do you come from? Say something. I just want to hear your accent. Talk to me, you know, like, and I don't, you know, I'm a girl, you're a guy, but like, a 14-year-old girl just wants to be blending into the background. All you want is to be accepted by your peers. Yeah. You don't want to stand out. Mm-hmm. Like, especially a new girl in a new school. Like, you mm-hmm. want to meet a couple of nice people. They're going to kind of take you under their wing, accept in. you into the tribe, and slide in and get on. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I had people turning up at my door after school. Like, they'd followed me home from school like I didn't know how they knew where I lived I opened my door the first night after my first day of school there were 20 kids stood out on my doorstep they're like we just wanted to hear you talk again well um (laughs) what sort of just so I can understand it to understand what was going on at the time when are we talking like early early when 19 it was Christmas 93 right just trying to what was happening in 93 so with the music wise i believe we're on about now five right okay so maybe now seven maybe yeah so basically maybe some of the posher kids would have had sky so they would have had the simpsons um there was none of that yet no we we didn't even have channel five yet oh no i'm I'm just so you were like this complete like wow like you'd landed from another planet this Almost. was like, you know, when they had this, the colored wines on the BB. This is like <laughs> Channel 4. Like, nothing played after 1130 yeah, yeah. at night. Wow. I used to stay up at night watching snooker and darts and stuff. Like, I was like, where am I? Where? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? I remember watching on Channel 4 for, like, the first year. Because I, I refused to let myself get acclimatized to the time difference and stuff. I was so stubborn, man. Jeez. Yeah. So... I used to stay up all night watching Elvis movies on Channel 4. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's like where we were. It, um, it was Blackburn rave scene. That's what was kicking off around here. Wigan Pier. Oh, yeah. Wigan yeah. Pier, Monroe's, <laughs> All Nighter. We were like, you know, Life, Bowlers, Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, but I was there at 14, 15 <laughs> How long? How long before the locals accepted you? <laughs> that's what I'll. That's what I'll use it as. How long did the look? Um, well, I ended up having to make older friends because right. the I had a few girls in my year at school who did accept. I was very lucky. Like one of the girls in my year, this uh, Scottish girl, Lindsay. She was one of my best friends. Like she took me in, and everyone kind of followed what she said so I got a little bit lucky that way with the girls in my year Mm -hmm. the girls in years 10 and 11 not so much they didn't like me very much at all Mm. um so I would say by my by my year group I got accepted relatively quickly but I also got up to no good relatively quickly to yeah. try and get accepted as, as quickly as possible. And because yeah. I was already feeling like I didn't want to be here and I was being very rebellious anyway, yeah. it all kind of worked out for me. Yeah. Wow. It didn't work out for me, did work out for me. Um, so I ended up making friends with like older people. Yeah. Um, and they were the ones going clubbing and going yeah. to Wigan Beer and all this, you know. And, you know, I'm, please, I'm not advocating 
underage drinking or going out to nightclubs can I just yeah, let that be said I have a 19 year old daughter of my own and would be absolutely mortified if I thought that that's what she was up to so you know big kudos to my mom for not killing me yeah <laughs> I think she tried a couple times but like uh, so I was just a bit of a nightmare as a teenager so I just started going out going clubbing I still always got good grades and stuff I yeah. was I was pretty good at school, yeah. even though I didn't turn up that much in my last like year. So, um, but yeah, just started going clubbing and I loved it. And I had a lot of um, older friends. They weren't crazy old, but you know, just like yeah. a bit older friends. Wow. Um, ended up going to Cream one yes. night in Liverpool for my friend's birthday. Yeah. It was actually her 20th birthday and I was... 17 um and we went to to cream on it we got a minibus not yeah. a minibus because it's not safe was it really safe to go out drinking in liverpool you know really? um yeah. when you were from out of town so we oh. used to just get like a <laughs> i couldn't wear a badge that said my mom's a scouser and yeah. get away with <laughs> um so yeah we got like a minibus and we went over to cream and we'd been having a great night and yeah. we all went back to her house afterwards Whilst I was in the house, um, I sat down on a chair, you know, we're having a little after party, whatever. Yeah. I was sitting in the armchair and the next thing I know, I wake up on the sofa. Right. No kind of clue what's going on. And I can hear everybody in the other room, like talking. So I kind of wake up and I go in the other room and everybody just stands there and stares at me and they're all like, like they've seen a ghost and I was like what's going on like what the and they were like so you're alive you're okay and I was like oh wow and I'm like what and so apparently I'd been on the chair and I'd fallen off of the chair hit my head on the table I'd had a seizure right in the house after our big night out so um and I'd never had a seizure before I was 17 so I'm I'm glad um, they found an ambulance fair Well, th- exactly that, you know, I mean, this is what happens when you have a bunch of young, dumb kids. Yeah, think fast. Yeah. Getting up to no good. I mean, like my two best, they are still my two best friends, by the way, the two girls, like the girl whose birthday it was, uh, one of the other girls, they're like still my two best friends, believe it or not, I forgave them. Yeah. Um, but they were both like trained first aiders and stuff. I think they knew that I was having a seizure. They knew I'd never had one before. Um, and I'd stopped and they'd got me in the recovery position and they'd let me sleep it off. And then I came to and they explained everything to me. Whoa. But this was at the time where um, there'd been a couple of deaths on the rave scene from yeah, people li- going out. This was, And it was a very new thing. So it was scary. It yeah. was scary. I, I remember the, the Leah Betts was the big... It was right after Leah Betts. Yeah, so it was a big... Uh... The rave scene was crazy, wasn't it? Um, a, bit, a bit before my little bit of time, but um, it looked it looked good whenever you watch a movie and there's a bit of nostalgia. It looks like they're all having a great time, but not uh, not in that. I wouldn't moment. change it. I wouldn't take it back, and I wouldn't change it. We had some amazing, amazing nights. So much fun, um, and it was just what people did back then. You know, it's kind of. <laughs> But, and I loved it. And when a song comes on now, I still get that little tingly feeling all over. I get all excited. Um, yeah, closet what, raver. <laughs> what was it? What was the rave song? 
Which one in particular? The, oh, which one? What's my favorite? Yeah. Do you know, I don't know if anyone will have heard it. My favorite, um, I think it's called Perfect Motion. <laughs> I'd have to Google who actually did it, but I absolutely loved it. I'll yeah. send you the link. Yeah. But yeah, that was my favorite. <laughs> and, and, and after school, how did you find getting, getting work? Where did you go from, from, the, from after school into finding jobs and stuff like that? Well, I mean, everybody wanted me to go. My family are Irish, yeah. so they're all like super overachievers, doctors, <laughs> dentists. You know, if you're not a, a professional of that level, then you kind of yeah. you failed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I have a a cousin who uh, was the head of IT for Barclays Bank, one who used to run all of the um, air traffic control for the airports in London. Um, another one who works for a big pharmaceutical company. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're all very intelligent. I was not for going to college or university mm. at that time. Yeah. I still didn't want to be here. So I was like, I'm just going to go do my own thing, make myself a bunch of money, live by myself. I'm ready. Like, let's do this. 16 and off I go. I actually moved back to California for about six months thought I could oh, wow. make it out thought I could make it out there on my own as soon as I finished my GCSEs I jumped on a plane flew back to California um got a job started working I was working six seven days a week 12 hour days just making money and hanging out with my friends and doing what I thought you know I really wanted to do but all my friends were still at high school over there they go to school till they're 18 yeah um, and they were the ones living the life I wanted. I was the one slogging my guts out, you know, 12, sometimes 14 hours a day just to make enough money to try and live out there, you know, in a house share. So um, I came home after about six months, got a job in Darwin, started working for, I don't remember, Crown, Crown Hall oh, Coverings, you know, Crown Paints. Yeah. 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 Yep. Started working for them. Um, worked for them for a while, and then that's when I had the seizure when I was working for them. Right, yeah. Let's 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 go into that, and because um, it's going to lead us lead us where we where we're going to get to. Um, you had a seizure. What what do you know? What brought it on? Were you did you have um some sort of family history with it, or what what brought it on? No, no, nothing like that. Um, I had the first seizure um on that night out. Yeah. So initially, I thought it may have been brought about by what I'd been up to that evening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But let's just. <laughs> yeah. I always have to be really careful here. I was yeah. I, I was seventeen. I didn't yeah. know what I was up to. I didn't know yeah. what I was doing. But I I was under the influence, and yeah. I was convinced that that was the problem. Mm -hmm. So I just in my mind, in my seventeen year old mind, thought, well, I just won't go out and do naughty things anymore. I'll yeah. just you know maybe this is the universe's way of telling me that enough is enough. I've gone yeah. a little too far, and I've got a bit too big for my boots. I need to get my shit together, and fine, no problem. Yeah. So I kind of. I still would go out with my friends, but I was staying sober and, and doing my thing. And it wasn't as fun. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. It wasn't quite as fun watching everybody else like raging. And, and But it was nice to just still be a part of it and be with my friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I had another seizure. Right. Wow. And then I realized, uh-oh, like 
about six months after the first one, I had another one. Mm. Um, then it became a little more apparent that this was not drug related. It wasn't yeah. drink related. It, there was something more sinister going on. So it took me about another nine months to get all the scans and stuff that I needed. My mom ended up, she, again, in this country, she was an oral surgeon. So she was working over, um, in Warrington and Liverpool yeah, and managed yeah. to get me in to see a neurologist. Um, they did every kind of scan you could imagine and then sat me down. I think I was 18 and they sat me and my mom down and just said, she has a brain tumor. Wow. Um, it's in the left temporal lobe of her brain. So it's inoperable. It's right above the speech center of her brain. Now, how funny is that? Cause I can literally talk forever I had so they were like <laughs> <laughs> so they're like we can't we can't operate on her because she talks too much yeah <laughs> um so they're like it's so it was in the left temporal lobe of my brain right over the speech center of my brain and they were like it's wow. just too dangerous um and we can't they couldn't do a biopsy yeah because of where it was placed um, they were afraid that even doing something as simple as a biopsy would cause me to stroke out at minimum. And I was only seven, 18, so they didn't want to risk it. Well, did they give you a reason why? Did they, what, any reason why it happened or just you've got a tumour, that's it? No, they what? just said that because they couldn't do the biopsy and they couldn't test the cells, they didn't know whether it was um, benign or whether it was malignant, they yeah. didn't know really anything about it, except they can look at it and make an S like an educated guess as to what they think it is based on all the other tumors that they've seen. Wow. They were convinced that it was a low grade tumor, which is a slow growing tumor, but they didn't know how slow they didn't know how long it had been there. They're like, yeah. you're 18. It could have been that you could have been born with it. And it could have taken all this time for it to grow to this size to where it's actually causing enough pressure in the brain to cause the seizures. So I didn't have epilepsy. It was just the pressure of the tumor yeah. in my brain that was causing me to have the seizures. So as the tumor grew, my seizures obviously got worse. Yeah. So they didn't know what, they just didn't know what they were dealing with. And they said it was too dangerous to go oh. and investigate to find out what it was. So they wanted to leave everything well enough alone yeah. until my seizures got so bad that they had no choice, but to yeah. go in and operate. What, what's that like? Um, getting that sort of news at that young age. Can, is there, is there an emotion that you, that resonates? Like I mean, that's the ultimate life-changing news, isn't it? Like, that is like, you know what I mean? Everything else yeah. that you thought was a big deal after that kind of isn't a big deal, is it? No, but it's really, uh, I have a lot of, um, my experience of it, uh, sometimes I think, like, maybe it's me that's weird. I don't know. Like, but how I processed it, how I dealt with it, I believe is what kept me alive and why mm. I'm still alive today. Yeah, yeah. Now, the... The diagnosis for me was you have a brain tumor in the left temporal lobe of your brain and it's inoperable. And unfortunately, even if we biopsy it, all we can really do is treat it based on the results of the biopsy, but it is going to kill you because we can't remove it. And wow. you're just going to have to wait until it gets so big 
that that is inevitably what kills you. And they were like, we're hoping that it grows slowly enough that you'll, you'll live to maybe 30 if you're lucky. Well, but that would be a, a real push. We're just looking at best case scenario there. So at 18 years old, being given that information, um, I remember kind of looking at him and thinking like, Oh, fuck. Mm. Okay. And I think I kind of like teared up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But then Yeah. I was just a bit like, you know what? I don't feel sick. Yeah. I'm all right. Like I can still do just about everything. I mean, okay, so maybe I can't go out raving and misbehaving. But other than that, like I get up every morning, I get dressed, I eat my breakfast, I go to work, I can do whatever. Like it's not impacting on me minute to minute, day to day. Like I can just get on with my life. So that's what I'm going to do. I didn't really cry about it. Yeah. What I will say like on actual like reflection is for about six months after diagnosis, I completely gave zero fucks about anyone or anything. Yeah. I quit my job. And I, I, yeah, down to whatever I wanted. Like I went to the pub and I played table football and went for walks and just, just, I just did whatever I wanted. Yeah. And I was probably a little depressed and in a bit of denial or whatever. (laughs) I'm sure there was all kinds of stuff going on, but I kind of just felt like, well, I don't feel sick, but this is a bit fucked up. So I'm just going to do what I want to do. Like if I'm not going to be alive, in the next 10 years anyway like why am i killing myself in a job what am i like what am i doing like forget it (laughs) so it was yeah it was a very interesting time now as a mother uh, with a 19 year old daughter if i that was me last year sat in a doctor's office and he said that to me about my daughter like i can't Mm. even imagine what my mom was going through in that in that time and you know what at 18 i didn't care and i know that that sounds really selfish and it sounds really horrible but i think there's an element of being 17 18 years old where that part of your brain yeah that like to allow your brain to develop at that age other parts of it have to shut down yeah and my more my sense of mortality was non-existent so i never actually even though they told me i was gonna die i didn't believe i was gonna die and even though they told me that i was really sick i didn't believe that i was sick and everybody around me was like devastated like i was dead already yeah yeah you know and i was just like i don't know what your problem is (laughs) i'm fine like i'm going out you want to drink? Like, should we go get a drink? Just... <laughs> like, I... What, um, so what was the, like, what is the outcome for this then? Like, what, did, how did you move forward? Like, was there any treatment at all? Was there anything that you could do or nothing? Just nothing. Just, just roll with the punches. So what happened was, is that my seizures got progressively worse. So when I, when I first got diagnosed, they put me on anticonvulsant medication. Yeah. They put me on something called sodium valproate. The actual like uh, brand name of it is Epilim. So they put me on that because I was 18 years old and and they knew it was something that had been used for decades and decades and it was relatively safe. So they stuck me on that and that seemed to stop. So the first two seizures I had were big, huge, like, you know, the the, uh, big, where I was shaking, Mm -hmm. passed out, like, 
Um, they used to call them grand mal seizures, but they don't call them that anymore. Um, yeah. They have a new name for them, but I'm not, I'm not up with my seizure lingo. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, the first two that I had were like that and they were quite distressing. A bit through my tongue, nearly bit my tongue clean off the first wow. time. Um, and the second time I was in a car, had to be dragged out of the car. So they were a little bit intense. After that, though, um, the seizures started to get more um, frequent. And I didn't have the big seizures where I was collapsing and, and going into convulsions. I used to kind of start having absences and then I would completely like wow. black out. It's really hard to describe. I wrote a blog about it that kind of goes into it more in detail, but right where the tumor was in my brain was over the part of the brain that controls anxiety. Right. And the chemical that's released in the body for anxiety. Yeah. So um, every time I had a seizure, I used to have a panic attack with it. Right. Wow. So every time I went to have a seizure, my body used to think I was dying. Like it, my like all my adrenaline, everything would just yeah, start going. Don't... It was nuts. Yeah. I couldn't talk. It affected my speech. <laughs> I still find that so ironic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's a it's a lot to take in and 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 sort of on the blogs and um, is this why you created blonde and strong i mean it's part of why i created yeah. it um because that i mean the the brain tumor is like one of my stories yeah um but it's weirdly for me it's only one small part of my story um because even when i was um in the midst of having the brain tumor i was pregnant had my daughter i you know, the, my neurologist wanted to kill me. Like he was like, you're not going to survive this pregnancy. They wanted me to have an abortion. Wow. They didn't want me to go through with the pregnancy. They were afraid that neither of us would survive. To be fair, I almost didn't. Wow. Um, at, when I was four months pregnant, my, my seizures got so bad. I went into um, status epilepticus um, and they said I had about 15 minutes before I was a complete vegetable and they were going to have to like pull the plug on me. So, um, it, it's sometimes looking back, it's crazy. Like it is a wonder that I'm still here, that my daughter yeah. is at university now and she isn't too impacted by all the medications. I mean, I was on the maximum doses of these anticonvulsant medications and we found out when she was about 10 that the, um, medication I was on actually causes developmental problems in um, unborn, like in fetuses and things. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it's a real like yeah, minefield of, of all kinds of stuff that was going on. And her dad was that I, I was with him for about six years throughout all of that time. And um, he was extremely abusive. There was a lot of domestic violence. There's all kinds of stuff yeah. going on, like in the background and, and for me, like, I suppose upon reflection, living in that kind of chaos, although yeah. now I couldn't tolerate it, Yeah. my childhood was very chaotic. So it was kind of all I knew. And then when someone tells you that you've got a brain tumor and you're going to die and you're 18 years old and you don't feel like you're dying, you kind of need something to distract you and take your mind off that. Yeah. And he definitely took my mind off it because life was definitely about him. It wasn't really about me. So um, right. 
Well, it was a it was a big distraction. Maybe I could have chosen a, a you know a healthier distraction. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think in you know my blog ended up being a way that there's a, I've been through a lot of different things in my life. I've lived a lot of different places. I've experienced a lot of highs and a lot of lows. I would like to think that my story resonates, at least some part of my story will resonate with so many people Yeah, wow. for different reasons. And, and, and is it something like, how, how have you made it this far? Like if you were supposed to only live a, a certain amount of time, like a guardian I, angel, good luck, roll, roll the dice. Like what, what is it? Like, what do you put it down to? I don't know. I mean, I've heard you say like, yeah, you, you get to decide whether yeah. you're sick or you're not sick. And my yeah. dad absolutely lived by that. <laughs> my, my, what? Okay. So you, I know you've introduced me as Shar. Yeah. My full, my actual full name is Sharda. Yeah, and Sharda is the, Sharda is the Hindu goddess of yeah. creative arts and knowledge. Yeah. And my parents both are studied yoga yeah. And I got the name because of my dad. He loved the name and it was a name that meant a lot to him within yoga. Mm-hmm. So I was brought up with a lot of like spirituality and that kind of energy. belief yeah. of energy and yeah. that you could like the body and the mind are connected and yeah. that you can control both of them. Yeah. And actually, if you can use the two of them together, what you can do is limitless. Yeah. You know? I think and, I'm, I'm starting to be more of a, a, a believer in the, in this sort of um, holistic sort of way of thinking and holistic medicines and 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 it's you know medical science told you one thing and you know you, you you've achieved so much and what I don't want to do is I don't want to rush over certain parts of it and we'll have to definitely come back and have a a, a follow up podcast um, but it sounds like you you know you've you've definitely I call it championship rounds. It's the rounds where you just like where a boxer becomes a winner. Um, and it's rounds sort of eight, nine and 10 where it gets ridiculously hard and <laughs> separates, it separates the good boxers from the great boxers. Um, yeah. and, it, and it sounds like you've been in the championship rounds for, <laughs> for, for, for 40 years. <laughs> for 40 years. You're still full oh, of hooks going for the yeah. body. Um, Listen, I don't, well, one thing I, um, it's taken me all my life, like to this point to be able to look at myself and be able to look at myself honestly and assess what my like essence qualities are. And one thing that I know I have in spades is fearlessness. Like it doesn't mean I don't get scared, but it means that when I get scared, I'll do what needs to be done anyway regardless of what I have to face along the way and as far as the brain tumor goes you know I got I got so sick in the end that they had no choice but to to do the biopsies and 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 that was really where I got to with that um the seizures were getting so frequent I I was in a wheelchair at one point you know I couldn't do anything I was having seizures every single day my daughter was still very young my mom took me back to California so I could say goodbye to everybody you know it was fucking morbid shit man I was like 25 you know and um we came back and I'd already had one failed biopsy attempt 
So they tried it once, it didn't work. They couldn't get a reading. They had no clue what it was because they wanted to treat me, but they couldn't figure out how to treat me because they didn't know what it was. Then the next time I went in and I was like, okay, just let me know. I need to know for my own sake when I wake up, like, what am I going to look like? Am I going to be bald? Like, am I going to have, yeah, 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 yeah. Look like fucking Einstein. And like, cause the first time I had holes in my head and like, fuck. And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. We'll just have to see when we get in there. And I, I woke up after the second brain surgery and I had like 20 staples up the side of my head and um, they'd like shave under that part of my head. And, uh, nine days later, I went back to have the staples out and he was like, so we've got some good news for you. Um, when I was in there, I just thought, you know what? I think I can get that out. Wow. Fucking hell. He's a maverick. Yeah. He was a maverick. And he was like, so I just thought, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to have a go. Yeah. So, and he went, you know, we've, um, I did my best. I got everything I could. Uh, there may be a couple of abnormal cells that were left in there. We won't know that until it starts growing back. But what we'll do is we'll just monitor you for the next 10 years and we'll see what happens. And, and then he said, but I think I did get it all. I think I've got it all. I don't think you have a tumor anymore. He said, and we've tested it. It was benign. It was a meningioma. He said, and what I'm afraid to tell you, is it because it was a meningioma? It was growing from the outside of the brain inwards. Oh. But they thought it was growing from the inside outwards, yeah, out. but it so. was growing from the lining of the brain in. in. And he went, we could have removed it like nine years ago. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Jeez. he was afraid I was going to sue them. Yeah. Because I'd been so sick for so many years and I just gave him a big hug. And no, he was yeah. like, please don't be mad at me. And I was like, why would I, you've just told me I'm going to live. Like, why yeah. would I be mad at you? Like, I'm just grateful. And what I want to, how we started this podcast was you asked me what I love about this country. I'm alive today, not just because of the brain tumor. The NHS has saved my life mm. more times than I care to remember. Yeah. And if I great... had this brain tumor in California, I would have been dead at 18 years old. Yeah, wow. I wouldn't have been able to afford medication. It was $100,000 for a consultation with the neurosurgeon when I first got diagnosed. My dad looked into it. So, like, just for people to understand what it's like on different sides of the pond, Mm. whatever anyone says about the NHS. Yeah, it's a great service, yeah. I've paid into it my whole working life from the age of 16, and it's been worth every single penny. I've had two brain surgeries. They've saved my life. I mean, at least six or seven times. Oh, those are different podcasts, but for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll come back you to know, it. Like, what a, you know, the NHS have saved my life so many times, and I have so much to be grateful for, for that. And I genuinely do believe that my, I'm not going to say positive mindset, because I feel like that's a really bullshit overused <laughs> statement. Sure. Um, I wasn't positive all the time. I just yeah. didn't believe I was sick. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great it's a great philosophy. Um, wow, it's been a fucking unbelievable story, and I'm and I'm over the moon that you've you know you've come on the show and spoke very honestly and very bravely about um, what can only be a truly crazy fucking life changing moment. And you know, fair play to you for 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 cracking on um 
Uh, sort of, I'm, I'm conscious of time um, and I appreciate your time, but we're going to sort of look to do the five watts now, which is like how I like to close down the show. Um, okay. Sort of change pace a little bit. Um, so um, the first one, uh, what does your day look like? Has it changed post, pre COVID-19 or are you still just doing? My day looks a little different because I'm for, I've been put on for low leave. Yeah. So, uh, but I normally wake up at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. I've allowed to push myself back to 6.15 now that I'm at home. So yeah, I still, I get up at 6.15 every morning and I meditate for 45 minutes to an hour. Nice. Um, that's not all like pure meditation. Like some of it, yeah. it, it you know, I, I have a gratitude uh, list that I do every morning and, and I do my meditation and, and focus on whatever my intention is for that day. Yeah. Um, and, I'm doing um, a Zoom online exercise session every single morning. Nice. Um, then I'm also in the middle of doing a course. So I yeah, then spend yeah. the rest of my t- like yeah. my morning doing work on that. I get my dog out for a big walk. I'm very lucky to have some nice hills around here. So I get him out for yeah. a walk. Um, and then I cook and spend time with my family. Awesome. Um, awesome. So yeah. And then, you know, Skype, you know, the Zoom chatting to friends yeah, and just yeah, trying no, to stay connected with everybody. It's cool. Listening um, to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, second one, what workouts are you doing, either mentally or physically? You've talked about um, yoga and meditation. Any physical workouts? Running? Yeah, I'm a big weight nut. I love resistance training. Oh, okay. So I used to be a personal trainer and a nutritionist yeah. and a yoga teacher. Cool. So for me, um, weight training is like my absolute passion. I love it. So being in the house is a little tricky because I don't have much uh, kit. I really cool. just have some bands, a couple of light dumbbells uh, and stuff. But um, a really dear friend of mine who I used to work with is doing like a female only um, weights training session every single morning for an hour. And then I cool. run the meditation at the end oh, of nice. it. So yeah. Nice. So loving it. Yeah. Um, Third one, uh, what have you started? Have you started anything new in lockdown? Even if it's a Netflix show, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Tiger King. Oh, yeah, for sure. I did start Tiger King. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, I've started Tiger King and Ozark because I finished Ozark, something else. Boss. Well, I actually watched Designated Survivor. I don't know if you've watched that. Yeah, but I've that was an interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I watched that. Ozark, uh, Tiger King. I've also started um, a course that I'm a good, you know, four weeks into, um, and that's really all on self improvement, self development, um, and really tapping into some uh, feminine power. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, fourth one. What have you stopped doing? Go to the gym. <laughs> Stop going to the gym and I've stopped. I've okay. I've stopped going to the gym, but I'm yeah. training at home. Yeah. I've stopped working nine yeah. hours a day yeah. in an office. Um, and I have stopped allowing access to my life for things that no longer serve me. Fair play. That's a good one. Um, Fifth and final one, what's the first thing you're going to do after lockdown? 
I have to be careful what I say here. Um, I appreciate that there's a lot of people really struggling right now. Yeah. What's going on in the world is going to change the world. It, it's, it's a little crazy. And there's a lot of people who are dealing with loss, grief, yeah. um, who are working crazy hours, uh, suffering with yeah. illness and anxiety and all kinds of things. But I have to be honest, like for me, lockdown, I'm loving life. Like this has been the first time in my life since I had a brain tumor that I've been able to stay home with my family. I've been able to focus on the real simple things in life um, and, and really properly live every single day, being present and connected to myself and to the people around me. And awesome. that for me has been a priceless gift. So um, when lockdown's over, what all I really want to do is be able to continue that on outside and find a way able to use my time more wisely for helping other people um, as opposed to killing myself for somebody else, you know? Yeah. Um, a, I am also going to go on a massive hike because yeah. I am, I miss that freedom. The, the one, the only one thing I miss is being able to jump in my car and go somewhere um, and explore somewhere new. So I'll be doing a lot of that. Awesome. Um, shoot, where can people find you? Um, where can people read your blog, et cetera, et cetera? Okay. Um, they can find me on either Instagram at Char Blonde and Strong. I think it's Char underscore Blonde yeah. underscore and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and, or you can check out my website, which is just www.blondeandstrong.com. Yeah. Oh, we just we just lost you there. It was blondeandstrong.co.uk. No, it's .com. Oh, .com. Okay. There, I, went, there we go. I went universal. Yeah, no, it's it's the best way. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a, a pleasure uh, listening to the story. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, sure, thanks very much for your time. It's been brilliant speaking to you. I really enjoyed it. Thank um, you for and having me, John. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's a fantastic story. Stay strong and look forward to the next episode of the Eagle Podcast. See you later.